you like love? Are you a night owl? Then late night love is a place for you. Since life is negative enough, here we discuss everything love. What we love, who we love, and why we love. So join us. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on yet another excursion down the stream of consciousness through the darkness towards the river of love. Or something like that. <laughs> One of these days, I'll get that right. It'll come out smoothly. But <laughs> we are yet here on another weekend of love. It's been a, a week of thankfulness. And, you know, I like to call it, everybody else calls it the, the holiday season. And I call it the thankfulness season. It's the time of year where everybody's thankful and is grateful for all the things that they have, the, the people they know. You know, it starts at Thanksgiving and it kind of ends at Christmas. And then you spend that last week of the new year reflecting upon kind of yourself and you know, where you want to go through the next year. But for this next month, it's the month of thankfulness. It's the month where we appreciate those we love, you know, where we've come from. And I think it's important. There's a reason we do this. There's a reason these traditions have stuck around for generations upon generations, that they actually transcend, you know, the religious aspect of it. It's... Right. I mean, lots of people view ours as a religious holiday, but lots of people that transcends religion, they kind of use some of the religious catchings, but they don't, it's not a religious holiday for them. It's a, you could almost say spiritual, but it's a family spiritual. It's a community spiritual. It's not necessarily the God spiritual that we like to think of when we all, and this, you know, think of the word spiritual. We all kind of think of God and religion, but there's more to it than that. There's more to the spirit, the human spirit, the spirit of community, the spirit of we want the world to be a better place. Not for us, not even necessarily for our grandkids, just because it's the right thing to do. And it's this time of year when we reflect upon that, when we say, did we do our part? And who helped me along the way in accomplishing those goals? And I think those are the Those are the things that we are all thankful for here. Definitely. I know. I'm thankful for, you know, especially now for the friends and family, the generations who were forward thinking. You know, they didn't know exactly what troubles and tribulations their future generations would face. But, you know, they set things up so that future generations of their family would be in better position to deal with them. And you have to... You know, honor and respect that. And then you try to figure out a way to how do we get more families to think like that? How do we change our culture to to view things like the house instead of a monetary investment as a generational investment? Get back to something that's more meaningful than pure dollars and cents. And it's also a time of stress. Lots yes, of people, it lots is. of stress, lots of people feel expectations. Expectations. Even necessarily where you wouldn't. And this year alone, there's lots of change in the air. There's, you know, you're not able to see your family. You're not, you're not able to, 
you know, engage in those. In, in certain activities that you normally would for the holiday season, going to church, going to your, going to the soup Christian to volunteer. Those have all been curtailed this year. Well, I don't know. The soup kitchens are needed more than ever now. Those lines are longer than they've ever been. And so if you're someone who volunteers at the soup kitchen, they need you down there more than ever. Um, that's the sad part is we've closed so many. So many people have lost their livelihoods. Yes. Over the course of the last few months that the need for love, the need for compassion, the need for those who are strong enough to go out and work those soup kitchens and to stand in those lines and to, you know, that's a hard thing. It's not the effort that's hard. It's not the work that's hard. It's just seeing all those people in need, the emotional difficulty that people who work in the food kitchens and the food distribution centers and the homeless shelters, just the amounts of human tragedy they have to deal with. You know, I'm thankful we have people whose emotional spirits are strong enough to withstand that because where would life be without them? Yeah. You know, and then for the rest of us, you know, sometimes we're not always at our best. I know I've been cranky the last few days, a little grumpy. No. Yeah, well, my knees ache. and I know. My knees ache and I've been stressed. It's this time of of year. There's a lot of things on my mind and you know, and while it's perfectly, you know, hey, okay, there are a lot of stress and, you know, people are kind and compassionate. But, you know, at the same time, let's be, you know, I have to be mindful of my own self and say, okay, I know I'm being a little extra cranky today. Maybe I shouldn't say the first thing that comes to mind. And, <laughs> you know, be kind and compassionate, not just to yourself, but to the people around you as well. I know I'm a little cranky. You do a good job of that, honey. Please don't beat yourself up. I'm not beating myself that. up. I'm, okay. I'm expressing this is what I do. It's, you yes. know, I know I'm I know I'm a little cranky. I know well, little... I don't want you to beat yourself up. No, no. So what, what I do is I try to, you know, not say the first thing that comes to mind. mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I have bad timing. Yeah, well, and sometimes it's and only I bad. And I try and cheer you up. I try and make a joke because sometimes it's bad timing. Well, yeah, and, you know, in normal occasions, it'd be perfectly fine. But, you know, you get all the conditions are wrong. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we don't. We just accept them. He moves on. And, you know, it is what it is. But it's because we both are working through it. We, You know, you know that, okay, I realized He's been a little cranky for whatever reason. He's got a hundred things on his head. The the shift from the campaign to starting the, the business. The it's huge. You know, it plus, is itself. plus my knees have been killing me. Plus <laughs> it's winter time. And so you wrap all that up and you get, and if, you guys didn't get to hear that, but my knee just popped again. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you wrap all that up and I'm not going to always be in the best of moods, you know, and I try to curtail it. I try to understand that, okay, I'm not, I'm being a little sensitive these days, but, you know, I understand why, but I can still, you know, no, you're the only person responsible for your reactions. And so if you're mindful of how you're feeling, then you can mitigate the worst effects of, of being cranky. If I didn't, wasn't mindful that I'm, you know, not at my best, 
then I wouldn't take steps to mitigate that. And then these little issues that pop up might become actual issues rather than this, nah, it's one of those things, <laughs> you know? So, so that mindfulness, the willingness to examine myself and understand that yeah, I'm being a little cranky without throwing myself under the bus, without being hard on myself, it's just Hi. the way it is. It's perfectly normal. But I still have to mitigate those. Yes. Because I care about the people around me. I don't want to be cranky to them when it's not them I'm cranky at. I'm just cranky due to life. I don't want to take it out on people around me. That's rude. And, you know, but you also know I'm human. It's going to happen. So I only try to mitigate the worst of it by not saying the first thing that comes to mind. That's just the easiest. That's the simplest. So if you want my, for those of you out there who uh, might want to know, how do you deal with a cranky day? You know, when you're just not at your best self, you're a little irritated and it's nobody's fault. Just kind of is. Don't say the first thing that comes to mind. Say the second thing that comes to mind. The third. Because <laughs> normally that first thing that comes to mind is not really real. It's the crankiness speaking. And you're going to regret it the first after you say it. So you might as well just not say it. And if you still want to say it when it's the second thing, then okay, go ahead and say it. But, you know, bite your tongue. Be kind to yourself. You have less of a mess to clean up later. You, know, you have less to apologize for so later. later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the... I suppose if there's a lesson to be learned about being thankful and loving, it's be thankful that those people around you are willing to put up with you when you're not at your best. And you can help that by being... Uh, Bit mindful, understanding where you are mentally and kind of helping mitigate that. But also be mindful of your partner and say, you know, they're being a little cranky. Maybe I'm going to not necessarily walk on eggshells because no one wants to go through life walking on eggshells. But I'm going to be a little kind, a little kinder, a little. Well, I try to be a little more understanding. Yeah, a little more understanding, you know. I'm not going to respond when, the, you know, that comment was a little more biting than it should have been. Yes, not, wasn't, I no. let it go. I let it go. <laughs> you know, because it was, probably wasn't really meant for me. <laughs> so it's just so Well, it's so rare. It's not like you, like, this is a day-to-day -day thing. It's, it's a rare occurrence you get like that. So. So even me, yes, I am no, I am no perfect son. I get myself cranky and, and grumpy, and like anybody else, and even the most mindful of us have the same problems everybody else does. I guess the difference is how we cope with them. It's that you know we try rather than just letting it be. Just let her fly, huh? Yeah. Well. You know, we've, oh, I think all of us have at one point in our lives used the let it fly as a fallback, as kind of the natural state of things. It's it's easy. It happens, especially when you're young. You don't know better yet. You haven't learned. You know, I'm not going to take no crap from nobody. Well, yeah, but there's a cost to that. Yeah. 
you know, there's a cost to not taking no crap from nobody. So if you're going to do that, you damn well better be sure it's worth the cost. And if you're in a long-term relationship or if you're, if you're dealing with your children or your parents, well, you damn well better be right. Because the last thing you want to do is spoil a relationship because someone had bad knees that day. Yeah. So. And, you know, loving yourself is the first trick to uh, loving anybody else. You can't love the rest of the world if you don't first love yourself. And I think that's, you know. This whole thing about being loved and being thankfulness and you know it all starts within you you can't be thankful to the world if you don't love yourself not genuinely thankful you can be superficially thankful but because you don't know what you're thankful for you don't have a deep enough understanding of what you appreciate to be thankful and so you know the whole world starts with loving yourself. The change the world wants. There's no matter in all the philosophies, all of the, the major philosophies, religions of the world, all, all goes back to you. I mean, what is it? Buddhas is the the state of being is suffering. So what are you gonna do about it? Yeah, it all goes back to you. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, the yeah. natural state of being is suffering. Just go look at any animal in the wild. They're cold and they're hungry. And that's just the state of it. It's just the state of being. That's the natural state of being. And so if you're going to change that, expecting somebody else to, waiting around for somebody else to, now there's people who can help you. That's a different story. You know, hey, there's people who are willing to help me. Great. But they're not going to help you if you're not willing to help yourself, if you're not willing to try. Now, people may be willing to help you if you continually fall on your face. But at least they're trying. <laughs> you know, at least they're trying. At least they're trying. <laughs> at least they're trying. And, you know, it's enough. Keep trying. One of these days you'll get it right. One of these days you'll figure it out. You know, life isn't easy these days, but Life's never been easy. I actually think we forget how easy, you know, we actually have life these days. In the modern world, a hundred years ago, rich people didn't live as well as poor people live today in the United States. They didn't have light. They didn't have central heat. They didn't have all the niceties that we had. Food was still barely eat edible. It, the, the, you know, clean water was dependent upon whether your stream was polluted or not. And yet, here we are today. And those are things we expect. Clean water, edible food. Clean water, both clean water, food, heat. food on the shelves, easy heat, light. Light. And we essentially take them for granted. And we've done that in a hundred years. It's kind of amazing. A little over a hundred years, but it's actually quite amazing. And I think we should be a bit more thankful for the journey. You know, we stand upon the shoulders of the generations that came before us, the generations who worked in stone, 
generations who mined coal by hand, the, the generations who, you know, worked in factories by light and sometimes by moonlight. It's, you know, we couldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for going through those stages and the slowly rising expectations of what we, of, for humanity and our civilization. And so that's what I'm thankful for, that we no longer, we are no longer in position where we can accept that type of life. We can, we can no longer even fathom, you know, children working in, in factories but yet at the time it was it was an advancement because they were actually able to have money and a lifestyle that they couldn't have had before people would have been starving and dying but we we were able to we were able to have you know work in factories and even the child labor we all seem to forget that before child, children working in factories they were working on farms before they were working on farms they were working in the fields in you know as a tribal there was Children have been working through all of history. We now educate children instead of work them. Yes, uh, that's an <laughs> advancement. You know, the education of children was done while they were working. You know, it was the person who employed them that educated them. And now we educate our children so they can decide their own future. And that's a tremendous thing. And uh, I'm thankful for the evolution of Human standards. We are so far, I, I'm going to say it again, we are so far removed from what was just a few hundred years ago, a hundred years ago. Two, our lives are so different in such a short period of time. I don't know if there's ever a time in human history where life evolved so fast. Maybe during the times of the Romans when you went from having no roads to having roads and running water you might be able to make that argument. Because the Romans figured out running water. They figured out cement. They figured out a handful of, of massively important things that able, enabled their civilization to thrive. But you know, I'm not even sure the Roman times had such a colossal shift so quickly in human change. Maybe when we first invented agriculture, you know, maybe. But there was lots of places where agriculture happens naturally. You don't need to irrigate. Yes. And so is it necessarily... I don't know. I just think in the last 100, 150 years, the expectation of human standards have been raised to a point that we can't comprehend how we used to live. And on the grand scheme, I think it's a good thing. I think in one hand, I think it's good. In the other hand, I think it's bad that we don't know where we've come from. Come from, right. We've right. lost. And so we, now we have these people with silver tongues come up and, well, tell us about utopia. <laughs> yes, if we just do these things, we can get to utopia, their version of utopia. and But it's not true. Utopia doesn't exist. All we can do is make life a little bit better today, tomorrow than it was today. But, you know, over time, life gets a lot better by doing that. Yes, it does. And I think it's been a tremendous journey for humanity. I, 
So you got any uh, stories of thankfulness over there? Because I rambled on for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thankful that we can now put humanitarian and civil rights because we can put those more to the forefront and we have, can have we have greater expectations socially because we're not struggling so much and i'm very thankful for that what we what we we what we tolerated 100 years ago we would never tolerate today and that's a good thing I mean, sadly, there are still places in the world where there's abject poverty. There is still a handful of places where things like slavery exist. But it's never been smaller in, in the scheme of human history. Abject poverty has never been less. And the humans in bondage, so we say, have never been less. And as a percentage, it, it, it's... It's actually absurd. So low. maybe this generation we can eradicate it. Maybe, hopefully, in the next hundred years we can completely eradicate, eradicate slavery. We can eradicate the, the foreign concept. And it's not just slavery. I call it human bondage for human bondage. because there's other forms of slavery that, that's not. You've got the Ugars in China who are essentially being sent to re-education camps. They're not considered slaves. They're not considered prisoners, but they're in prison by any other name. Yes. And so and so there's a lot of human bondage, economic bondage. It's, so I, I use a lot broader term, and it's also more polite in our particular, which is not a political podcast, and so we try to avoid politics. Yeah. But, you know, it is humanity. We do talk life in human what we, what do we say? We we talk life, love, and relationships. Well, life covers everything. Uh, everything. And while we avoid politics directly, we can't avoid the realities of the world. And so, you know, we can talk about how do we improve these types of things, and we improve it by making our lives better, and it's leading the way because we can't go around the world changing the world but we can change our little corner of it. Yes, we can. We can change the things we can change. We can make better the things we can make better. And if we all do that, if we all just make one thing better a year, there's 300 million of us alone in the United States. That's a lot of better things. We don't need to have these grand scheme of things. Just pick one thing and make that one thing a little bit better. And if we all do that, well, and if that one thing is you, then make that one thing you. Because a better you will make a better world. You will put more positive ripples out into the world. You reap what you sow. If you reap, if you sow positivity, you will reap positivity. Yes. And so if the thing that needs to be fixed in your world that you can control is you, fix you. And you will fix your community in the long run. You will help fix the world in the long run. Because we're all a little broken. Even the even those who are the most put together are still broken. There's still stuff to fix. So we should work on it. Bust out the duct tape. 
(laughs) Piece yourself back together as best you can, you know, use what tools you have. And if you can come back later with better tools, come back later with better tools. But, you know, tape yourself together if that's what you got. I'm I'm here for using whatever we got. And we are going to take our quick break here and we will be right back. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Now, to start this off, we've cut this on. Oh, where the heck would I catch this? I forget. It's a friend of mine posted this on their on their Facebook page, and it's a a woman, a young woman, twenty six year old female, is complaining because her boyfriend spends all his time on communist Facebook pages, meme pages. So he spends all his time making memes. I suppose the fact that it's a communist memes are irrelevant. He spends all of his time making political memes. And it's actually, she says she loves her boyfriend, but he's always on her phone. He's he's always spending more and more time on, on these meme pages and less and less time engaging and he, with her. He, inter- he interrupts their time together to check on his phone, and it's driving her crazy. Now, see, it'd be one thing if he was a content creator who was making his money. That was his career. It was a, He's a media person, and you have to be continually engaged in social media in order because that's where your income is coming from. So if that was the case, then I'd say, well, you, you have to understand that's part of his job, and, and that's just part of the lifestyle. But she didn't say anything about him making money. He's just part of these meme groups and making memes for fun. Yes. And when I read that, is is he's no longer engaged in the relationship with her? Yeah. No. No, the relationship. No. It's momentum. It's a relationship on momentum. It's because it's easier to then to do something else. And if I my suggestion to someone in that kind of thing is to you know consider. And in the relationship, because he doesn't love you as much as you love him. He's twenty nine, and if he's and if he's not focusing on his future, and he's more interested in in playing communist memes, or I don't care what kind of memes he's he's playing, but if he's more interested in engaging in political memeing, then he's not interested in the relationship. He's not interested in building a life. He's interested in being a 25-year-old boy, not the 29-year-old man he's supposed to be. And at 26, that's when women's biological clocks start clicking. Yes. And she want, it sounds to me like she wants a future. He doesn't. They're in different places. Yes, they've grown apart. And, and that's okay. You know, you can you can honor the time you had together. You can honor the things you did. You can honor the love you had for that period of time, but you've grown apart. See, I would suggest a last-ditch counseling effort. I think at this stage it's gone. It's I, gone. You can if you, if you need to do it to clear it for your own conscience to make sure to to okay. I'm not. I wouldn't say don't do it, but he's checked out. 
that's checked out behavior. He's a, he's just too chicken to call well, phrase from the actual for, for, full phrase. He's not man enough to own up to his feelings and, and deal end the relationship like like someone should. He doesn't. He's just grown apart. They no longer have the same end goals. So is he? behaving so badly that she'll break up with him. I actually was dating someone. I doubt, I doubt he has that much invested in it. You did that to me. No, I doubt there's that much invested in it. I doubt there's that much thought in it. Uh, it it's the relationship I'm in. Yeah, I could be wrong, I suppose. So he's in a, not in a relationship with her. He's in the relationship with his memes. Yeah. He's ended the relationship with her. So he just, you know, maybe he's socially awkward and doesn't know how to end it. You know, a lot of kids, these, a lot of people in that age group, we didn't allow them to grow up. And so they don't know how to deal with emotionally uncomfortable issues. A lot of kids in, in you know, the early 30s and younger they simply don't know how to deal with emotional issues. We, for whatever reason, put them in emotional cocoons all the way through school, all the way through college. And so they get out into the real world and they don't know how to deal with their emotions. They don't have, know how to deal with things that don't go their way. You know, this is the, this is, it's, this is beyond the, the trophy. Everyone gets a trophy generation, the participation trophy generation. This is the, no one can have, any bad feelings generation. Oh. Yeah, you're not allowed to be at well, it's the it's the trigger generation. Everything, if something triggers you, you it just well, I don't have to deal with it then. Well, you still have to learn to deal with it because the world ain't gonna change for you. And so these people they get out and they get into a relationship where they have to deal with uncomfortable emotions because in long-term relationships, you have to deal with uncomfortable, uncomfortable emotions emotion sometimes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you just do. There's no way around it. Life is full of uncomfortable emotions. Yes. And the more meaningful your life, the more often you're going to have to deal with uncomfortable emotions. And so essentially what this young man has done is he's decided I'm not dealing with any uncomfortable emotions. And so it's easier to become a memer. You can pretend like you're doing something. You can convince yourself that you're changing the world, that you're out engaging in the world. You're trying to change politics. You're trying to, you know, become part of the change that you want to see in the world. But you're not. Memes are fun. They're funny. I, I, I enjoy them. I participate. But you know, I don't make them, but I, I laugh and I share. <laughs> I don't have, I'm not artistic enough to, to make them. But I laugh and I share, but I'm not fooling myself. They're for the choir. Yes. <laughs> a, meme not, a meme is not going to change someone's political thoughts. No, no. Memes don't vote. <laughs> memes don't vote. <laughs> I don't care how good your memes are. You're not going to change anybody's political view for me. You might make them laugh. Like. I was there was the Babylon Bee for those of you. I like one of the Babylon Bees, one of the things I like. And being a libertarian, they, they had a joke the other day. It says a libertarian man was going to go protest, wanted to have a, a Thanksgiving Day protest dinner, and no one wanted to hang out with him. No one wanted to <laughs> hang out with him. <laughs> 
you know, and it's kind of funny because, you know, you're being annoying. No, we're just not going to, because we can laugh at ourselves. You'd have to go look it up. We, I didn't do it justice, but it was funny. And even though it was kind of making fun at me, but I can laugh at myself. It was genuinely funny. <laughs> you know, you took a stereotype, you turned up the knob a little bit and made it funny. Why would I not laugh? But there's so many people today, if you'd have done that to them, they would have gotten all upset. What? If you would have. It's just, it's just a meme. <laughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, it's just a meme. It's just a joke. It's funny. And if you can't laugh at yourself, then you're taking yourself way too seriously. If you can't laugh at your own politics, if you can't laugh at your own, your own activists, if you can't laugh at your own side, don't care what it is. I don't care what your side is, if it's politics, if it's sports, if it's, I don't know, knitting, knitters versus sewers. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't laugh at, at the kind of the, the stereotypical issues that do exist. They just do. And on some of these things, there are, you know, it doesn't mean they're universal, but it means, you know, 60% of you people kind of have these certain traits. Yeah, okay. You, we, you know, there's a string of libertarians who can be overly annoying. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but if there's a stretch of anybody who can be a little annoying, if you can't laugh at yourself, then you can improve. Because humor is one of those things. It's a cutting way to help yourself. But back to this thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's She's got a heartache coming. She's got a heartache coming one way or another. Because whether it's uh, sooner or later, it's coming. Because he's checked out of the relationship. And maybe you can put it back together. I would doubt it. Seems to me like he's too invested in himself at the moment. And that's a long-term, that's, it's a long-term thing. It's a long-term project. That's not a short one. No, indeed. It is a long-term project. Relationships, yes. And so I'm not entirely sure she's going to have, have much luck. But it is, but there's also a bit of, you know, I, I do want to give a little caveat. Okay. Maybe he has an addiction problem. I was wondering about that too. That is an entirely possibility. That's why I would suggest counseling and going, why are you doing this? I feel like you're not invested in our relationship. You're more invested in this other relationship. Do you have a problem? Or, or are you just, or is it time to say goodbye? Well, the problem is if you, if he's got an addiction problem and you approach it like that, uh, he's just going to get defensive and you're not going to get anywhere. Uh. So I, I feel sad for this young woman because she clearly has some, an emotional investment and I just don't see how, unless this guy is just maybe... It's going through all kinds of issues with all of the world the way it is today. You know, maybe there's a mental and emotional health problem that you know we should be more considerate of. And so I do want to give that little bit of a caveat. But in normal times, under normal circumstances, that's a big, huge red flag. Yes. 
that he's checked, they've checked that the other person, not just him, if it's a woman, to be checked out of the relationship. Kind of doesn't matter who it is, man, woman, man, man. You, you know, if your partner is behaving like that, then they have, for some reason or another, have checked out the relationship, and you need to do some soul searching, figure out what do you want to do about it. Yeah. Everything, you know, we all talk, everything starts with you. Right well, here. if you feel my approach is not, was not, does not open doors, what kind of approach do you think would open doors? Well, it's not that I don't think your approach necessarily opens doors. It depends on the couple and them. And it just doesn't sound to me like this is someone who's open to that type of approach. Oh. I could be wrong. So, I mean, you'd have to take your knowledge of the relationship and your partner into consideration and how to approach it. It's just, it would seem to me that if he's blowing her off for memes he's now, he's just going to continue to blow her off. And he may even actually get in a sense, get worse because now you're attacking the one thing he's finding joy in at the moment. So he's going to delve ever deeper. So, so well, it's just going to be inherently instinctively defensive it may not even necessarily consciously defensive it's instinctively defensive uh -huh. you're attacking the one thing that i'm finding joy of rather than thinking about oh the person i care about is upset and i need to contemplate that but that doesn't seem to be where his head is now maybe if he's got a best friend or a sister or a mother or he's close to the approach might be to have a conversation with them and ask them what to do because they may be able to do a backhanded poke and say, Hey, what the hell wrong with you? <laughs> Cause sometimes, you know, a best friend can actually say things in ways and reach to you in ways that your partner can't. Yeah. Especially guys. I don't know about girls, but especially guys, it's, you know, you, while they're fishing on the basketball court, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. I've asked girlfriends, dude, what's up with that? Yeah. Um, I'm not the one to interfere, man, but are you crazy? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It happens. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen because, you know, we do care. You know, despite our gruff exterior, we do care about the lives of our friends. And, and we do, we just don't interfere unless it's absolutely necessary. And we don't know it's absolutely necessary unless the other one comes and says, hey, is something wrong with Bob over here? He's being a little bit aloof. He's getting overly invested in these commie memes. Is, is there something, do you know anything? Yeah. And things will happen. But that again, it all it's so personal. You're just going to have to kind of take stock of your situation and decide make the tough decision about which way to go and be understanding that it may not end someplace you want. Yes. You know, that's the sad part of the whole thing is at least, you know, but yeah, life doesn't always end where we want. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Okay. So what do we have? Over here. Do you have to know all of each other's friends? We have 100. We have 99. Oh, we already did 99. 
We already did a follow-up on that. We did that in uh, other. I'm going to mark it right now. Okay, well, here's one for you. Okay. We should probably do this one as a daily dose at some point, even though change it a bit. If, if you were to die this evening with no opportunity to communicate with anyone, what would be your biggest regret about having not told somebody something or and why haven't you told them that's the so i guess maybe the oh question. my god that would take some i'd have to really think about that okay well you think about it i, I don't actually know that i would have any regrets about i mean there's lots of things i suppose i would i wish that i would have done better but in terms of regrets i don't know i'm tried as best i can and so to think about it as terms of regrets, it's being overly hard on myself on my deathbed. I don't want to do that. I, re <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I regret I didn't get sober sooner. I haven't had a drink in 31 years, but the end of my drinking was very hard on, on uh, my children. And I wish I would have done it sooner. I was too self-involved to see the damage I was doing. Well, that's the nature of addiction, yeah, is you don't see the damage you're doing. And so, but you eventually did see the damage you're doing. You went, I think people like you should applaud yourselves because so many people never see the damage they're doing. You never do what it takes to fix it. And you never. Well, then you just end up with the mm -hmm. big ball of shit at the end of your <laughs> life. Yeah. But then you're dead, and so you don't have to care. That's the mindset that a lot of people have. And they don't but contemplate. You, but you've still left all this wreckage that you haven't cleaned up. Yeah. That's that's the difference between people who clean up their mess and people who don't, is you realize that I can't keep leaving this wreckage or this no. path of destruction. No. That's not what I, I want to do. To I the love world. these people. Why am I treating them like this? I got to fix this. <laughs> I have to change my behavior. I have to make amends. And making amends sometimes just means time. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. But be there day in, day out, yeah. over, over years yeah. sometimes before you get the forgiveness. Yeah. Well, because when you've hurt somebody, you don't owe you anything. No, no. They don't owe you forgiveness. They don't owe you. They don't owe you anything. Now it's it's better for them if they can get to the place where they can, you know. It's better for them if they can forgive, but they don't owe it to you. No, I think they would owe it to themselves to get to the point where you know, forgive and forget. You'd never actually forget, but forgiveness—it's about your own heart. Because what is it? Hating your heart only hurts you. Yes. It doesn't do a damn thing to the other person. They're just going to go on about their life. You're the one who sits there and stews in it every day. So that's, you know, that's that's what the problem with hate is. It doesn't actually hurt the people you're mad at. It doesn't hurt the people you hate. It, it eats you alive. Quite literally eats you alive. And it's just... But would I have anything to say? No. I try and keep that clear. 
Yeah, I don't have. There's nothing. There's no. I wish I had spent more. Time I don't have any secrets. I don't have any. Well, if I have any secrets, uh, then they're, they're secrets to take with me to the deathbed. They're not secrets to 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 throw out as I'm walking off the earth. <laughs> At this stage of my life, if I'm keeping anything secret, it's because it's secret. <laughs> well, sometimes secrets can be harmful. People don't need to know. Yeah, well, it's, you know. I mean, do they need to know? Well, it's just, it's, it's another about, it might not be anybody else's damn business. It's between me and the lizards, right? And, right, right. And maybe the other, other people who know, they all know. No, Nobody else is, you know, you, not everybody's entitled to know everything. It's. Uh, that's heresy. Oh, I've been known to be a heretic before. I'll be that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if the the person, people that you love and the interactions you have, they are the ones who, you know, but if something happened 30 years ago, at, you know, when I was a teenager and me and my best, I'm not going to tell anybody that on my deathbed. Right. Why? It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't do anything. And quite frankly, if I go have to meet the Lord Almighty, he already knows. So it doesn't do me no good. <laughs> there it is. Confession is not good for the soul, huh? Well, there are people, I believe, if I have anything to say, I, I hope that I choose the right vessel for that, which is a minister. They have them there for just such an occasion. Well, I have one too. It's called a therapist. And yes. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's, I tell anybody who needs to know what they need to know. And there are some things that, frankly, it's nobody's business but mine. They only involve me or and something else, and it's nobody's business. Yes. Now, I probably I actually can't think of anything, but I'm sure there's one or two banging around up in there if I actually contemplated it. <laughs> I can't actually think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's something in there. That's why I said, oh, I'm going to need some time to think. Yeah. I'm sure there's something in there. Well, the fact that I had to take some time to think about it means that there's nothing pressing. Oh, oh excuse me. What if anything is too serious to be joked about, huh? Oh, wow. I can joke about it. Well, as long as the joke is good, there's nothing that's too serious to be joked about. Because a good joke can actually help you comprehend um, something you're trying to understand. It can help you have a new perspective on an issue that you won't talk about in any other format. What about racist jokes? I can't handle that. That's why I said if it's done so, well, you can joke about racism. Race happens all the time. Dave Chappelle's made a career out of joking about racism. That's true. And so the question wasn't, it wasn't, is there any topics you can't, as long as the joke is good and, and it has a meaning to it, is there's, it's actually trying to make a point. And you can joke about anything. You can joke about the Holocaust. People do. It's just the joke has to be freaking good. It has to both say something and be funny. It has to have both meaning Genuine meaning, something to contemplate, something that leaves people 
something to understand. So, you know, it needs to have some depth to it, but it also has to be funny to make that depth go down a little easier. Uh, so it's a spoonful of sugar. Yeah. It's a spoonful of sugar with a bitter pill right smack dab in the middle. And you still have to swallow, but you still swallow the pill. Like, and if you go back to Richard Pryor and a lot of those 60s and 70s black comedians, they talked about a lot of things that people didn't want people to talk about. They covered a lot of subjects that they didn't want to be covered, but yet, because they were willing to joke about them, they became a conversation in the general public, and we moved forward in ranks. Without those comedians to lead the way, we may not have had the conversations that we had. And so that's why comedians, if you go back in time, the jester, the only person who could be honest to the king was the court jester. You had to walk a fine line. All comedians have to walk a fine line. You have to be good. (laughs) But the court jester is the only person who could tell the truth. Because he cloaked it in jokes. That's why comedy sticks around for so long. That's why we all go off and we listen to comedians. Because in a strange way, comedians are the only people who are allowed to tell the truth. Hmm. They can observe the world and and give observations in ways that uh, polite company... People in polite company can't, you know, we can have conversations that we can't have in polite company. Because they cloak it in jokes. But if they're good, those are very deep jokes. And they tell you something. And so I think that is the power of, of it's like the power of good art. Any good art. That's why in, in repressed societies, art is awful. <laughs> you know, the Soviet Union. And, yes. And any other repressed. It's awful because you're not allowed to be free. But in free societies, art thrives. Because while artists, almost universally, easily 90% of all artists are, are starving, struggling artists. They have, it's their, their troubles in life in life's journey that gives their art depth. You don't find many, you know, artists who are children of multi-billionaires. True. The starving artist is a stereotype for a reason. It's because they all come from struggling, humble beginnings, but it's that struggle and the, and the desire to put that struggle into some form to transform that struggle into something beautiful or to something meaningful or to tell the story or whatever it is they're trying to do. It's that, it's that struggle. It's also why a lot of when pop singers, you know, a lot of singers, you know, their first couple albums are really good. And then the third one sucks, you know, bands and it's like almost universal. The first two albums are, are pretty good. And the third one sucks. Yeah. It's because they're no longer artists by the third one. They're no longer struggling artists. They're just trying to make a money. Uh. That's why the ones who make money, they just kind of repeat the same things. Oh, well, here's what my audience wants. So here's what I'm going to give them. 
And then we all call them terrible. But well, you got to know your fan base. But once you become a non-struggling artist, your art becomes self-centered. It's all about you. It's not about the shared experiences with you in the world. You're not talking about the shared experiences of teenagers like a lot of pop artists. One of the reasons pop artists get popular among teenagers is because they're talking about a shared experience. But once you become successful, there's no longer a shared experience. You're disconnected. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> so, yeah, it depends. Rappers are a bit, get actually a bit different than that. But that's a genre, a different genre where they start that way. So it's not, <laughs> they kind of pretend they're rich and famous and, to, and all to begin with. And it's part of this thing. But in the same way, they, they do the same thing. A lot of rap artists have one good album and then, They become full of themselves and think it was all about them and not about the stories they were trying to tell. And then they lose. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, it's the same way. Whether you can talk to Star Wars or any of these things, the uh, art has a way of losing itself when they become successful. Didn't happen to the Beatles. Yes, it did. You ever heard the Yellow Submarine? Yes. That is an awful, awful money grubbing album. It did happen to the Beatles. That's why they broke up. They were no longer making art. They were just making. They were making music. Yes. They were making art. They were just throwing crap together to sell records. Ah. No one remembers the later Beatles stuff. It's all the early stuff. Well, that's where, that's what the early stuff is what makes me smile. Yeah. Now, you could actually start making, now, if you were going to use one to kind of counter my thing, it would have been the Beach Boys. Beach Boys. <laughs> if you were going to pick a band to kind of counter my argument, the Beach Boys, but. Well, there's always the anomaly. The exception proves the rule. Yes. Yeah. There's always got to be exceptions. The exceptions prove the rule. Those are just genuine for whatever reason, maybe it's the combination, maybe it's the person, maybe it's the grounding, you know, who never knows that person is grounded and you don't never become. But it's so hard <laughs> to become grounded. I don't think I'd be able to do it. I'd like to be able to say, I'd still be grounded if I became a success in a billionaire. I wouldn't become like that. No. <laughs> no, I'm not that good of a human being. <laughs> I try well, to be. change you somehow. I try to be. But I don't think that if I was, well, for one, to be that successful, you also have to be pretty driven. So I'm not that driven. So I kind of, you know, I, I suspect that there's a, there's a combination there. Of, yeah. And maybe the Beach Boys were driven to make music. They weren't driven to make money. And so maybe there's a difference there. Uh -huh. But it's not just music. I've watched, I've watched people who became say journalists, citizens journalists, there's a new media, the new media, they're citizen journalists, and they start out as ethical, honorable, you know, professional journalists, but then as they dive in and find their, their money-making niche, they lose themselves. They become, I don't want to use the word, beholden to the niche. 
rather than yes. beholden to their ethics. And they oh, can justify okay. it. And they justify it. It's not that they're not necessarily unethical. It's that they become too narrow-focused. And they lose something. They lose the ability to look skeptically at their own arguments, at their own perspective. They don't look at themselves and say, okay, can I be wrong? Maybe I'm looking at the world wrong. Maybe it's my perspective that is, is screwy. I mean, that's kind of why we did this. We started this whole project here is because yes. I want to make sure I kept one foot in reality and while during my run for office because I've seen so many people kind of lose themselves into politics and I wasn't going to let that happen. <laughs> and Thank so, you. And so we started this. And speaking of losing ourselves, it's about that time we're to end the show. And we want to thank everybody for joining us on this this journey through our stream of consciousness down the river of love to something that we've all become a bit more comfortable. Hopefully we've all have a a thankful week. We can all get through the next six weeks to the new year. Is eight weeks now? No, six, five weeks. Five weeks. Five and a half weeks before we get out of 2020 and we can hopefully look to something a bit more positive, I guess. It's not the word I'm looking for, but it's the word we're going to get. Um, and please, if you would help us, like to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash late night love and, and select one of our tiers, three, five, ten, or twenty dollars. And depending upon your wants, needs, and desires, and we appreciate everything. Also, if you could do us a favor and like and share and do all the grand stuff people on social media need you to do to make their media successful. So thank you all for watching. Thank you for joining us. Please, from our house to yours, we love you. Take care of yourselves. And please remember... To love everybody. everybody.